watching all movies with Rebecca and Jason. Are you gonna love them or hate them? Here comes the binge. Hey everybody, welcome to the Binge Movie Podcast, in which a couple of homos review the latest movie theater releases from our own queer-ass perspectives. My name is Jason Leroy. My name is Rebecca Olarte, and today's episode we're going to review three new releases, 10 Cloverfield Lane, Mountains May Depart, and Night of Cups. And as always, we'll rate the movies on a three-tiered scale, binge it being our highest rating, consume in moderation means it's okay, but it's kind of meh, and send it back. Means life is too short for that mess. Let's get started. Hey, Jason, what's up with you? Oh, thank you for asking, Rebecca. You're welcome. Well, it's been an exciting week for me. Uh, Monday night, I was lucky enough to attend uh, this really cool event in San Francisco at the Kern Theater. Mm-hmm. There's a series that's being curated by this guy named Kevin Sessoms, who is sort of like a famous entertainment journalist, gadfly, gay, mm-hmm. gay memoirist. And uh, one of those roundabout, you know, like was what I aspire to. I basically. feel like when you fill out when you fill out those forms, and you're like, is are you male, female? How right. much do you make? What is your career? It's like technology, yeah. medicine, gay memoirist, <laughs> gadfly. Check yes or no. <laughs> uh, so uh, he's been doing the series of the Curran, and uh, on Monday night he brought in Courtney Love mm. as well as Todd Almond, who is this uh, musical theater guy who had written a musical that Courtney is currently or has been starring in in New. York called Kansas City Choir Boy. Mm-hmm. And I am a longtime Courtney Love fan uh, for going back to 94. Uh, so I guess that's oh, tw- wow. 22 years. Yeah, yeah, no, I was like, I bought Live Through This the day it came out. Wow. Uh, so it was, it's been, it's been going on a long time between me and her. And so I was so excited for this event and even more excited when I found out that at the Kern right now, they're doing this thing where the theater is under construction and so they're only having shows where the audience literally sits on the stage with the talent. What? Who yes. else is playing there? Well, let's. Uh, well, Joel Gray was there the night after our event. Joel Gray oh, from who won an Oscar Cabaret? for Cabaret? Yeah, um, and they had I'm already sensing a theme here. <laughs> gay. Gay flying. And they, they don't. <laughs> gay memoirs. <laughs> the theme is faggy. <laughs> Uh, which I was about to say, like, no, that's not always true. But right before Courtney Love, they had Jonathan Groff. So, okay, um, yeah. I mean, the gadfly is curating it. What do you want? Sure, sure. Uh, so I was so, so, so excited because I've been reading all the reviews of this musical and I wanted to see it. And the whole idea of this night was it was a conversation between Kevin, Courtney, and Todd in which they were going to perform a couple of songs from their show and then also just generally chat. Mm -hmm. And anyone who's ever read or seen any interview with Courtney Love knows no one gives interview like Courtney Love. Mm -hmm. You never know what you're going to get, but it's always going to be very entertaining. And uh, and this night was certainly no different. Uh, But uh, at the end of the night, uh, the whole thing went on for like 75, 80 minutes. And at the very end, she and Todd Allman were both talking about how much they enjoy Courtney Love. Or I'm sorry, both, yes, they, that happened <laughs> sure as well. They, were. they both did sing praises of Courtney, and they were talking about PJ Harvey. And uh, so, and I was already like, I had like a kind of a low kind of hum coming from like the back of my throat every time that it would bring her up. <laughs> it was like kind of getting louder and louder as the night went on. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I'm like, they're talking about PJ Harvey, and I, Courtney Love is talking about PJ Harvey. This is so exciting. And then it kind of hit what I thought was the ultimate pitch when she was like, she mentioned that she and Kurt saw PJ Harvey at Slim's, which is in San Francisco, in 1993. Oh, I thought they saw her at the Whiskey in 1984. <laughs> 
<laughs> that's somebody else? I think that was somebody else. Okay, I think it was sorry. actually like 68. Oh, yeah, you're right. 18, 68. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no, so I was like, oh my God, that's so fucking cool. Can you imagine? I'm like, I will never set foot in Slims again and not picture that. Right. And you also will never set foot in Slims again. Just in general. No, just kidding. I actually have tickets to see Kay's Choice there in a few weeks. Thank you very much. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not joking. So You have uh, a type. (laughs) I do have a type. So then um, Kevin Sessoms is like, hey, Courtney, well, how about you sing a PJ Harvey cover? And my whole body kind of seized up with, I wanted to almost attack Kevin Sessoms like, that's the kind of thing you don't just say, dude. <laughs> like, if you're fucking teasing, then, like, I, I can't take it. You don't joke about things like that. And then Courtney is like, yeah, okay. I'm like, what? <laughs> and then it turns out it was planned all along. Kevin's like, uh, okay, now Courtney and Todd are going to perform To Bring You My Love by PJ Harvey. And I was there with my dear friend, Beth Dean. And Beth, in that moment, witnessed me in a more vulnerable, <laughs> more exposed, more like no, like I, I don't know that anyone's ever seen me quite this like, I, like my hands like crept up to my chin. And I started going like, oh my God, oh my God. And Beth was like patting my knee, like <laughs> there, there. And I'm like, I just kept looking at her like, and she was like, calm down, you're <laughs> embarrassing. And, uh, and then it fucking happened. So I had been very, like, careful about taking pictures the whole night just because, like, we were all very close to each other. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We were all just sitting on a stage together. Um, so, like, it was very hard to, like, take pictures of Courtney without, because you were in her direct eye line for the entire conversation. Right. And, um, and, but then I saw some people doing it. I'm like, okay, well, I guess it's okay. It's that thing that we're like, anytime you're out at like a public event like that and you're kind of like, you know, testing the waters with everyone else there waiting for them to like give you a cue. Like, right, is you're this, like does it, everyone else take their I, pants yeah, off? Is, is, I'll take yeah, my pants off. Exactly, exactly. I mean, like, I don't ask for permission for that, but taking pictures is different. Right. Because that right. can be rude. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I'm like, is everyone being an asshole? Great. <laughs> um, so I was being very discreet about taking pictures, but then whenever that was going to happen, as far as I knew, that was like, the kind of once in a lifetime thing that I would never forgive myself if I did not like chronicle. Mm-hmm. It was, it was Courtney Love singing to bring you my love. It, mm-hmm. It's it's mm-hmm. it's it's a little rough. It's mm-hmm. a little rough, mm-hmm. but you know that's her thing. That's her. That's her style. That's her style. So then I came home and I immediately put it on YouTube because I looked, I watched the video. I'm like, oh, this is a really good video. It's like you know you see her really clearly. The audio is actually really good. So I put it on YouTube and then I immediately also sent a pitchfork. Sure. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> Why wouldn't you? No. Um, cause I was like, I feel like I'm like, it seems the kind of thing that I would see in their newsfeed. Yeah, uh, absolutely. it seemed, it seemed pitchfork relevant. And, uh, so I sent a pitchfork and then within like five minutes, got an email back from them being like, we're going to run this, you know, do you want to be credited as our, our tip? And you said, I'm like, I'm always the tip. Yes, <laughs> please. <laughs> Just JTT over here. Give it to me. And, uh, so then it was up on pitchfork within like, it was basically a little over an hour after the event ended. Suddenly, oh, it was wow. already it was already wow. up on Pitchfork. The news cycle is quick. It was, and um, and then Courtney um, retweeted Pitchfork's tweet and t- contained the video, and then the next day it was up on like Rolling Stone and Spin and New Music Express, and like I was like, oh goddamn, and so it really spread quickly. But then Kevin Sessoms complained on Facebook. That he was like, oh, he's like, he's like, well, I guess I'll go ahead and share this, and it's already all over the internet. Oh no! We were trying to do something nice last night, but then someone had to go and film it with their phone, 
And how, how does that take away from doing something nice? Yeah, so they, I guess what they were doing, they were like going to, they were filming it professionally, and they were going to like use the video to like launch a current theater YouTube channel. Mm. But not once did anybody say anything no about that last. That there was no, there was no like signs hanging up, like no recording, no films, no fi- no video, no picture, nothing. And so I was like, I felt bad that like I had, you know, ruined his attempt to like, you know, have this nice special thing because like all the fire went into the video that I put out there into the world. But like, did you did you put on the video that it was taken at the Korean theater? I did. Well, then what else do you, what else do you want? I know. Throw some bumper branding on there. He doesn't know what's going on. He didn't know <laughs> Courtney was talking about Etsy, and he did not know what Etsy was even after she started to explain it to him. <laughs> so this gadfly <laughs> uh, has been locked outdoors for too long. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and does not know what's happening. Anyway, well, that's so a big week. It was a big week, and uh, in the video, uh, maybe I'll link to it from our website. Um, but uh, but yeah, if you just Google, yeah, I mean. It made spin in Rolling Stone, but yeah. has it been on the binge? <laughs> it hasn't. So it hasn't. The Kingmaker has not spoken yet. <laughs> uh, but if you just Google Courtney Love, PJ Harvey, it will come up. Um, so that was that was probably the big thing that happened for me this week. Um, beyond doing lots of crappyoki with you on Saturday night, we did do a lot of crappyoki. I think. In case you guys don't know, crappyoki is whenever you just play the uh, you play karaoke versions of songs on YouTube. And mm-hmm. just from like a laptop, and then you just like scream along into like a wooden spoon. <laughs> well, we used to have a thing where we had a, a little yeah, baby a little, amp little, little baby with amp. a little microphone that worked mm-hmm. very well. But what, what happened to that? Uh, I don't know. We'll have, to, we'll have to look into that. We'll have to reinvest our yeah. um, the binge funds. I think yes, yeah, so we need to reroute some things. But, uh, but payroll is uh, going to be on hold this week. <laughs> you know, it's it's a worthwhile investment. Yeah. Uh, what's up with you, Rebecca? Uh, not too much. I'm going to LA this weekend. I'm pretty excited. Um, I always feel like every time I go to LA, we're in San Francisco and, um, I always try to cram in every single thing. I don't like, Mm. I either should go more often or I should go longer, but I ever like every minute of my day is filled with stuff. I'm like, am I going to have a shopping weekend? Am I going to have an eat everything in LA weekend? Am I going to have like, I've always wanted to do one of those like old, not like the celebrity TMZ tours, which I have done and I'm not Mm. proud of. Um, (laughs) You did that? I did. It wasn't because of me. Who'd you see? Anyone? I don't think we actually saw anyone. I don't remember seeing anyone. We just got like herald, like like right. ho- herded onto buses in a, in a quick pace, and right. some people that are trying out their stand up got on the, right. on the bus. And- exactly. Oh yeah, that. And they're like, they're here, all the places. The Britney Spears flash your vagina exactly. in two thousand nine. Mm-hmm. Right. Um. So yeah, so this time I'm just trying to, I think I'm going to go the eat everything route. Mm, and then mm-hmm. we're ending it uh, with a basketball game, which I'm very excited about. Sounds like it's going to be a fun weekend. Yeah, I'm pretty jazzed. Oh. Um Speaking of consuming things, I also want to add that I'm currently, as we're taping this, I am paying homage to my very favorite podcast, uh, which is called Bitch Sesh, uh, mm-hmm. which is a Real Housewives recap podcast mm-hmm. uh, that is done by comedic actresses Casey Wilson and Danielle Schneider. And every week, their show has turned more and more into a hymn of praise for this rosé called Whispering Angel. Okay. And they mentioned, and I was like, where, where does one find Whispering Angel? And they finally, like, this, this week, were like, you guys, like... You can get it at Target. And I'm like, Target? <laughs> oh, Target wine. And so I ran to Target, and, and it, it's like it's fucking expensive by Target standards. Wait, is that why you went to Target last night after the movie? <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, it wasn't just for that. I actually was going mainly to get a new George Foreman grill. But oh. I also looked. I, that was number two on my list. You didn't lead with, I feel like you buried the lead here, where you got a new George Foreman grill. I know. Grill. I did buy a new George Foreman. Just jealous. Kind of. Although it's weird. It doesn't do the auto shutoff thing. Oh, so it's a fire trap. <laughs> 
<laughs> now I don't like, feel safe in here anymore. They're, they're like, oh, it's it's design improved. Oh, I'm like, oh, great, fantastic. It's smaller and it has like, it, like don't use any any spray. It doesn't need it. It's, it, it's, it's but no, now it, it just, you have to like keep checking on it. It's like anything else, any other grill. We, you can't just leave it unattended. You have to go in there and, and you know, I'm like, well, I don't know when fucking food's cooked. How am I supposed <laughs> to know that? So it's, I, I'm this not. This is a terrible idea. I'm not thrilled with it. Uh, so if we go a few weeks without the podcast, it's only because I burned down my apartment and we're looking for a new place to record it. I need to get this stuff insured. Um, shall we get to the movies? Let's do it. Uh, so we're going to start off this week with our pick of the week, 10 Cloverfield Lane. Pick of the week. Pick of the week. Pick, pick, pick is the pick of the week. After getting in a car accident, a woman is held in a shelter by two men who claim the outside world is affected by a widespread chemical attack. No! No! No, no! No! Don't open that door! They're going to get all of us killed! Something's coming. So, what can we say about this movie that won't spoil it? I know it's tricky. It's tough. Yeah, it's a tough one. It's a tough one to to get into the plot details too much because I feel like having having seen the trailer, the trailer does a good job of not really telling you much. I do feel like you see in the trailer that John Goodman's in the movie, and I think I mentioned <laughs> and that's, that's too much. That's too much. I w- if I didn't know he was in the movie when he makes his appearance, it would have been mind blowing. Now, and, and why is he, do you, does he have a status in your mind where he would be like the ultimate surprise to see in this kind of movie? Yes, because I'm expecting this like horror sci-fi movie. Right, you're expecting like Freddy Krueger to walk in and yeah. instead it's Dan Connor. Or like um, Wal- Wal- Walter Goggins? A Walton. Walton. Damn it. <laughs> Every time. Every time. <laughs> it's I, not your fault. It's not your fault. I was like going through my mind. What Walton. else? Like, am I Waller? What is it? It's not your fault. Walton Walton's Goggins. Not, it's not a name. He'd be one, I would expect. Sure. Or like, um, oh, who was the guy that played that uh, cult leader? He has that face. It looks like a goat. <laughs> mm, a Black Philip. <laughs> That's it. Black Philip. That's who I would have. Why I gotta be black? I don't know. White Philip? <laughs> He's black Philip. You're whitewashing Philip. <laughs> I want to see that skit where there's like a white uh, Philip goat. That'd be hilarious. So, yeah, I, I could see, you know, John Goodman being a surprise. Uh, but, you know, and he's kind of, you know, the trailers do a really good job of not telling you um, what is, what you're going to get with this movie. And neither does the movie. Neither does the movie. Um, or rather, the, the movie also does a good job. Also does a good job. Right, <laughs> yes. yes. Exactly. Uh, the movie also does a good job. And you know that it has the name Cloverfield in it. Mm-hmm. And so you're expecting certain things from that. But, you know, the movie is not, you know, it's not a sequel, really. It's not like a direct sequel. There's like no overlapping characters. Right. It There's doesn't no... pick up where something left off. Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah. So we're going to, all of with all of this is to say that we're going to do our very best to talk about this movie in a way that does not give away anything mm-hmm. so you can enjoy the surprises as they come because this is our pick of the week and we do think you should see it. Yes, absolutely. Would you say this is a conventional blockbuster? Do you think this is going to be a blockbuster? It's it's such a gamble mm-hmm. uh, because this movie is, it's, it's, it's sort of like it's a bottle episode movie mm-hmm. because you have three people for almost the entire movie and they're all just in one place. Mm-hmm. And had their lives taped. Yes. <laughs> they find out what happens. When people stop being polite. And 
start getting good money. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so it's it's really and it's not it doesn't give you any easy quick um, satisfaction. It's not like an instant gratification movie. Like mm-hmm. it makes you fucking work for it. Yeah. Like things don't happen quickly in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, once once we're in our primary setting, then it's a pretty long road. Yeah. Um, from that point until. Um, you know, until we start to really see action. And that road is a roller coaster. And it is a roller coaster. It's a roller coaster of a road. Um, strap in, keep your arms in. It's it's a lot. And it's also not a pleasant road. No, no. Mm-hmm. No, this is a kind of like it's 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 a rough movie mm-hmm. uh, to sit through because like there's not a lot of relief. Like you are feeling such like heightened uh just anxiety and dread. Mm-hmm. Uh like not no you're right there with this this Prime, this this female protagonist played by Mary Elizabeth Winstead, uh, not knowing like what is this? Like what's happening? Like why am I down here? Mm-hmm. Like who are these dudes? And like there's really it gives you like one montage. <laughs> it gives you like one playful montage mm-hmm. when yeah. you start to feel like yeah. oh maybe things are going to be okay, right? Um, but then it like it rescinds that <laughs> pretty quickly, very quickly. Yeah. So it's just it's mostly for for the movie just these three people. Yeah. In a room. Um, it's not room. No. <laughs> Don't get confused. No. And it depends so much on the acting and it really it really delivers. Yeah. They all come through. Mm-hmm. They're all so good. Yeah. Um Mary Elizabeth Winstead is is carries basically in, in some ways carries the entire movie on her shoulders. Absolutely. And on her she, very capable shoulders. Very capable shoulders. And I mean she's been so good in so many things from, you know, kind of playful things like Scott Pilgrim mm-hmm. to much more serious things like Smashed. And she is superb in this yeah. movie. John Gallagher Jr. Um, from Short Term 12 in the newsroom mm-hmm. is um, the other dude who she's down there with. And he is, he kind of, in some ways, is the comic relief. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mixed with, like, just general levity. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he kind of, the movie is set in Louisiana. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, and he's kind of like you know just kind of like this dumb shit um, mm-hmm. who's charming and fun and kind of like gives her a little bit of respite from John Goodman's character. Right. I mean, there you also kind of go around there too because there are times where you're not necessarily sure what his motivations are. Right. And you're what like, he knows. Right. Exactly. So exactly. there are parts where he Trust definitely no gives you right. Exactly. Um, where he gives you that moment of levity, but um, there are other times yeah, where when you're not sure. Yeah, like she has no reason to really trust him. And she I think he plays he that 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 both of those uh, mm-hmm. well also. Yeah, and then there's John Goodman. John Goodman, who today received uh, a, a glowing essay from either the Hollywood Reporter or Variety saying that he has given the year's first Oscar-worthy performance. Oh, that's great! So the O words already getting thrown around. Nice. It's nice to see John a, Goodman a man movie. of color. What? No, he's not. <laughs> oh, I read that wrong. I'm sorry. I mean, like, uh, a he, colorful he, character. I mean, John he, Goodman. He suffered enough on his years on Roseanne. Yeah. The, that I think that you know he deserves something. Yeah. And he has never been nominated for an Oscar. Never even been nominated. Really, Argo. No, 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 yeah, no. He's never. I mean, he's probably one of the world's greatest character actors, mm-hmm. and he has never been nominated. Uh, so, which is sad and wrong and unjust. Yeah. But if I'm being honest, though, I didn't think. I feel like I'm turning into those characters on SNL Weekend Update who are like the friends of <laughs> Ahmadinejad. Oh yeah, yes. <laughs> like he's I, a little I, bit. I will say, I you know, I 
do think like <laughs> i'm like i'm already so scared of like going on the wrong side of history about john goodman in this movie yeah but like i did think that there were moments when he kind of overplayed some of his creepy facial expressions mm. where like he would kind of his eyes would start to like you know kind of like heavy lidded and kind of like staring out from under them like what are you doing mm-hmm. and and he controls the tone of the movie like 100 mm-hmm, percent mm-hmm. like he's the one who is sort of like it it, it it falls to him to keep the audience guessing on what his character's deal is right like it's up to him like, and there he really succeeds oh completely he completely succeeds like you know he really switches it up moment to moment from you know menacing to kind of paternal mm-hmm. uh like you really he, to kind of paternal to kind of paternal yeah in both ways yeah oh <laughs> right yes paternal in in all the senses and so you really don't know what his deal is until like the very end of of the movie mm-hmm. and uh and and it's it all it all goes to him to do that and even at the end you don't necessarily know some of his deal no. which i love about the movie mm-hmm. yeah. i love that they don't try to quickly tie up ends that right sometimes you just don't know what happens to things yeah. it's very it's he plays it's an incredibly complex uh character mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and and he really does play the vast majority of it really really well. I guess there are just moments whenever he would do like the heavy lidded evil face thing where I felt like it was just Dan Connor making a funny face at Roseanne, <laughs> like one of those times when he'd be like, "Yes, dear," <laughs> like oh. she was turning him into like a zombie. Interesting. I've yeah. never watched Roseanne. I mean, I have seen episodes, but I I didn't watch. I've only seen like three episodes oh, of Roseanne. I wasn't allowed to watch it growing up. Oh. And you claim to have a ch- happy childhood. <laughs> it's not possible. Because you didn't have Roseanne there to give you a dose of, of, of 90s working class sadness. Yeah, To no. help you know what it was really like I mean, I people. was from Cleveland, so I know exactly <laughs> you saw that what everywhere working you class went. sadness is. <laughs> um, oh my God. That's not what TV is for. <laughs> but I felt I feel like there's one part in the movie where you learn that he has the ability to be drinking. And I think that I kind of that sort of like retroactively fixed some of the scenes where I thought he was a little bit um, oh, off. I was like, oh, maybe he had been drinking. That's interesting. I didn't make that connection. Mm-hmm. I didn't make that connection. Yeah, no, I mean, I'd be happy to see him get awards for condition for this movie. Um, but then that weird interview he gave this week where he talked about Kristen Wiig. Did you hear oh, that? He was like embarrassed because he interrupted he, her. Yeah, he or, or but like he blamed her though. He was he like, did. I thought he blamed himself for he being. Was, he was rude. like, I, he's like, he's like, no, I can never. He's like, I will never watch a Kristen Wiig movie again because I can't. Because he's so embarrassed. I thought he was making it sound like he was like she was so rude because she was like, yeah, I'll talk to you in a minute. Mm, I that, would double check that. I mean, that's I mean, that's the. I mean, I didn't watch the video, but I read all the breathless coverage about it. Right. It's like the the Goodman Wig feud of of 2016. It's Let's up there with Kim check. K versus Bette Midler. Don't know what that means. Um, <laughs> let's watch the video and get back. I'm okay. always a little wary of like. Yes, I know. I should have watched the video, but it seemed to. He, all I know is that like the dialogue that he says mm-hmm. is like you know he went up to her while she was having a conversation and, and tried to talk to her, and then she was like she put her finger up and was like I'll talk to you in one minute, mm-hmm. and then which to me makes it seem like he's saying that like she was being really rude to him. Uh, the tone I got was completely that he was Did you so watch embarrassed. The video? No. Okay. Well, that's why we have to watch the video, oh, guys. We'll link it. Yeah, we'll we'll link it, and we'll 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 do a follow up. Feel free to tweet us and tell us your thoughts yes. on on whether John Goodman blames himself or Kristen Wiig. Please do. It's our poll of the week. It is our poll, <laughs> poll, poll, poll. It's the poll of the week. Week. Um, 
You you were scared during this movie. I heard you make some shrieks that I had not heard before. Yeah, Rebecca mostly has had to suffer through all my like mm, noises about 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 boys. But yeah, no, this 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 movie is very good at scares. Mm-hmm. It's very good at them, and we weren't sure some of it was just because. The sound, especially at our screening, seemed almost inordinately turned up too loud. It was loud. very loud. Oh my god, it was so loud. Which I I couldn't tell if it was I was just being too old I know. and complaining about the sound. Yeah. But also I was appreciating how tense the sound made it. It, it added to yeah. the movie, I think. It, this this is a movie that will fucking obliterate your nerves. Yes, yes. Destroy them. There will be nothing left by the time the movie is over. Mm-hmm. And part of it is because of the sound design. Yeah. Like the sound is so jarring and you're like every time you're like you just you can you just jump every time there's any sound because it's just so the timing of it is also very good. Not only is it loud, but like they do things, they like kind of like clip half a beat off of things mm-hmm. so that you're getting things just like just like that much more quickly than you're than you're bracing yourself for. Right. And the movie kind of gives you the first hint of that during the opening title sequence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which Definitely does. Is like the most badass opening title sequence yeah. that I maybe have ever seen. Yeah. Just because of like the way the titles, the, the things that are happening when the titles come up and like the way that it's put together is like you just, you have no choice but to go like, oh shit. Mm-hmm. Well, like this movie's calling card basically. This, 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 is, this is the movie announcing to you what you're what in is, for. And what how, you've signed up yeah, for. Yeah, and how it's going to be. And you're like, oh my God. God. What have I done? And then you power eat a bag of Sour Patch Kids <laughs> yes. to make and yourself then, feel and better. And you burp it all up, Rebecca. <laughs> but it tastes like fruit. <laughs> <laughs> Tell it to my nutritionist. Uh, yeah. So and and that's and that's just the beginning. Yeah. So it starts off with yeah. a big jump right over the opening credit sequence, mm-hmm. and then it keeps it coming. Uh, I, I jumped. I would say total four times. Yeah, I think four. And or then, five. and then I just openly whimpered uh, <laughs> during the during the final one. You did. <laughs> uh, so, and how about how many times did you jump? Do you think? I think at least four. Or I mean, yeah. title sequence on. Um, yeah, you're just on edge. This is a movie that keeps really... you fucking on edge. Like you don't ever get to relax in this movie except for that one montage. It gives you the one gift of this one montage. Yeah. And then you're just like for like a second, and it's so blissful. You're like, <gasps> yeah, you forget, and, and then like, you're reminded. Right, and then and then something else goes wrong. Like yeah. this is a very it's a very twisty movie. And this is definitely one I would say if, I think with movies like this sometimes you're on the fence about whether or not to see it in the theater. Mm-hmm. See it in the theater. Uh, this movie is gonna be so much better in the theater than it will be in your home. Yeah, I think yeah, you need to surrender yourself to the sensory experience of being mm-hmm. in a theater for this. You need to just be sitting in a giant dark room with loud fucking speakers, mm-hmm. um, staring up at this giant screen and just like not able to look away. No, yeah. Like not able to distract yourself. Yeah, no looking at your phone no no i mean if you do that in a movie theater obviously you're a terrible person anyway right get an apple you're watch probably not listening that's what that's to for yeah podcast if you watch you look at your phone in the yeah theater. but you might have an apple watch which you should but it is i agree it's a, and also the longer you wait the more chance you have of having the whole thing spoiled for you right oh yeah that's true it's one of those things where it's a twisty movie but it doesn't have like any Shyamalan-esque no. twists Mm-mm. like it's nothing like it, it's not like a gotcha yeah. Um, like basically, like all the different outcomes, and there are several outcomes that come into play mm-hmm. over the course of the movie. There are several kinds of, of, of realizations um, and and discoveries that our 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 heroine is is put through. Right. 
Um, but like in this one, everything feels very earned mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and, uh, and really it's just so much more grounded, yeah. um, than, than any of that stuff. Because like she, you know, it's, it's in a sense, I was thinking like, what would be like, you know, sort of like a feminist reading of this text. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we have this, this woman who is, you know, taken captive and has to sort of negotiate how to exist in this space with these two men mm-hmm. who represent sort of different archetypes. Yeah. Um, but ultimately, you know, like she can't really trust and has to constantly be, you know, sort of vigilant and mm-hmm, watchful mm-hmm. and mindful of like how to be proactive in like protecting herself. Right. There, I mean, there are so many different, as you, as you mentioned, paths that things could take as opposed to the Shyamalan effect where something comes out of nowhere. Right. There are almost like too many things that could possibly happen and you just don't know mm-hmm. which they are and like none of it really right. comes from out of nowhere. Yeah. They're all kind of laid out for you they're but you all, don't yeah. know how they're going to... Exactly. What, which one it's going to be or right. um, how many of them. And right. yeah, as I think it doesn't pass the Bechdel test but... But I think what you're saying is the protagonist being so strong mm-hmm. and so capable um, that it still it still is going to be a success as far as a, a feminist she, reading. She's in a male prison. That is that is true. It's also a not going to pass the DuVernay test. No. No, they could have very easily cast a person of color as any of the three parts. Mm-hmm. And it mm-hmm. would have been not good to have a person of color playing John Goodman's part. Right, right. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but, you know, it's it's I think, you know, John Gallagher Jr. in particular... Um, mm-hmm. you know, I was thinking like that would have been an easy role to give to like a charismatic young actor of color. Right. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, it doesn't pass any of those things. And so it's worth pointing out that it is an all white movie. Um, but you know what? We're still going to say binge it. Yeah. Because we're terrible. <laughs> At the end of the day, we no, it's still just have the, a little bit of growth to do. It's the best movie this week. And no, and it's it not is. about, and it's not about, you know, a movie obviously can have, you know, a lack of diversity and still be a great movie. And this is a, this is a great movie. This mm-hmm. is a really, it's very innovative. It's bold. It's so bold that a movie that is basically a play, basically like a, yeah. bo- a bottleneck yeah. episode play. Um, is, you know, is is being released by, you know, a major studio and has, you know, all the excitement coming from everyone who loved the first movie. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it is very much a spiritual sequel, not a literal sequel to the first movie. Right. And, uh, and it's just, oh, man, it was a ride. 10 Cloverfield Lane is out now and is rated PG-13 for thematic material, including frightening sequences of threat with some violence and brief language. And that brings us to our second movie of the week, which is Mountains Made Depart. The life of Tao and those close to her is explored in three time periods, 1999, 2014, and 2025. This is a, the trailer was in not English, in case you didn't. If there's one thing I do know is that there are a couple different types of Chinese. That's right. I can't tell the difference. But at one point in the movie, she says, I wish I spoke Cantonese so I can say it's not Cantonese. Maybe it's traditional. Maybe it's Taiwanese. Maybe it's Mandarin. Isn't that a thing? Right? Yes, that's a thing. Oh, good. Glad I was right on that. Yes. Um... So, be, so the trailer was not in English, as you probably noticed. Yeah. Um, and we're probably not the right people to reviewing this movie. No. Because there is a lot of, there's 
contextual meaning that is lost on us. Yeah, this is one of those things where like reading reviews of it, I was like, every review is like, this is one of those things that kills me the most about critics when they're suddenly like know-it-alls about literally mm-hmm. every single thing. And they're like, no, oh, well, this is about the Chinese capitalist boom of 1999. I'm like, what the fuck? How do you know all these things about China? <laughs> like, I will fully own and admit right now, like, this is all a huge blind spot for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and not just like in terms of, you know, the recent history of China, but even like East Asian cinema in general, Oh, really? Uh, I'm like, no, I'm not the guy to ask about it. Like, okay. I, I have not spent a lot of time with it. I know that it's some people's favorite thing, but it's not my favorite thing. Mm-hmm. You're no Shaw Brothers fan? No. <laughs> no, I'm not. So, uh, yeah, it's not my thing. And uh, and I generally, I'm like one of those like really, you know, like milk toast guys who will just watch European movies and never ever like watches mm-hmm. Eastern European or Eastern Asian movies. So what was that one that came out this year, last year, which was like the highest grossing movie ever made? Oh, Mermaid. Like, is that Mermaid? The- Mermaid. Yeah, there's, yeah, there's like this Chinese movie called Mermaid that's like breaking all the box office records. Okay, there was one before it where there's like these little, it's like this... Um, kind of historical movie but they're in these they're these little animal creature balls that like it's blowing is up. it animated no it's real life but it seems like it's animated oh lord anyway enough yeah. about that yes i'm um, not so in short i am not shoshana and girls and no. I, I have never dreamed of moving to the east or visiting the east and so this is not my scene um so what do you think of it <laughs> <laughs> so let's go ahead and address that Rebecca, how much of this movie did you watch? Okay, I was I was going down a road where I was going to be really judgy about everything you just said, but I watched. I felt it on... you. I felt you maneuvering your way toward that. I'm like, oh no, you don't, motherfucker. And you grappled me like <laughs> yes, Nate Diaz. Exactly. You kind of McGregored me, which I'm not Jason surprised. knows all about now. I do. He's an MMA fan. I'm not surprised, motherfuckers. <laughs> Quoting MMA, that's so funny. Oh my god. Um, First and I last watched time. 34 minutes of the movie. Did you did you check the timer when you it, turned it on? Yeah, it felt like I watched 112 <laughs> minutes of the movie. It is the slowest movie I have ever. It's an editing directing issue. There are scenes that go on where nothing is happening and people are just microwaving rice, and <laughs> I'm watching it. I it it was an editing directing issue. It's, At first, I was like I was like trying to list. I was like, is it acting? Is it right? I was like, it's not acting. I don't think the it, acting is. I will say that. I don't think the, so. The actress who plays Tao, I think, is dopey as fuck. Like, mm-hmm. I think that her her smile that she has, mm-hmm. she looks simple. Mm-hmm. Like, I well, can, that, I mean, that was kind of the character, right? Like, she's really self centered. You only watch half an hour of that. Fair enough. Uh, okay. So <laughs> she, she, she questions she, about the movie. She does. Oh no! Please keep weighing in on that first half hour because it's a horrible <laughs> first half hour. It is like a an atrocious bad TV first. Does half it hour. pick up? Yeah, so that's the crazy thing. Um, okay, so I'll just say that, yeah, I don't think that she, she's, I, I was thinking that she was overplaying, because I knew watching it that it was going to, like, take place over the course of 26 years. Mm-hmm. And I, so I was thinking, oh, she's just overplaying the happiness now so that we can juxtapose it with her, like, misery later. So mm-hmm. I'm like, come on, misery. Um, but, like, she still would, like, just get, like, this, the last scene in the movie is her, like, dopely dancing in a field by herself. Mm. And oh, so she's like the Amelie. She just has a dumb lady smile. That's all I can say. Okay. She's got she's got dumb lady smile, and she's like, Ugh! like you guys can't see the face I'm making. And it's probably borderline racist, so it's for the best. But uh, it's it's you know she was not doing anything for me in this movie, and she's supposed to be you know she's like married to the director, and I'm like, oh, explains it. 
but <laughs> way to be racist and sexist <laughs> in like a check and check flash. Hey, record time. Uh, but no, for you know, in her defense, when she has a dramatic scene, she's actually very, very powerful. Um, so she has, you know, but I, so I, I, I'm guessing it's supposed to be the character, but that was driving me fucking nuts. Um, so it's, it's the acting I think is not superb, but okay, guys, this movie takes place in three different years, as Rebecca mentioned. It also is filmed in three different aspect ratios. Um, each year is a different aspect ratio. Like the first one is like a four, three, like box aspect ratio where you have black bars on the sides of the screen. Mm Mm-hmm. As you did in 1999. Yes. Um, like, when time you watch any TV shows from, like, before the advent of, like, widescreen HDTV, you mm-hmm. know, they're a little box, and this is a little box. The second one is, like, a full screen, like, a full widescreen. Mm-hmm. And then the third one is, like, a letterbox, where you have the black bars at the top and the bottom. Mm-hmm. But, like, so that, that first act of the movie that takes place in 1999 is unbelievably cheesy, and I was like, why am I even, what, what, what is this movie? It did feel very, it, very, it felt very stiff. It felt very stilted. Mm-hmm. It felt very hokey. It was like, it's supposed to be a romantic melodrama between this girl who's like a shop girl. And then one guy's like a blue collar laborer who works in mines. And one guy's like a wealthy scoundrel. Right. And it's like, okay, is this supposed to be like resonant? And so like, oh, is this the different classes of China? I don't give a fuck. So then here's the thing. Then it switches over to when it moves forward to 2014. And here's where I thought of you. And I was wondering if you thought this, but you didn't get this far. Um, so in the 1999 section, they get a dog. I know. And then he, and then he and, asks how long the dog's yeah, going to live. And, and then it the says second... 14 years. And then it moves forward 14 years. I'm like, oh, shit, that dog going to die. And Rebecca's going to lose it. <laughs> um, but you didn't. But that never, the dog never comes up again. That's weird because they specifically <laughs> call that out and then specifically I know, they jump set it up. They set it up and then the dog's just nowhere to be seen. So I guess we assume the dog died in the interim. I don't well, know. I think the dog died immediately after that dynamite explosion. <laughs> so this is the craziest thing in this movie. Uh, so yeah, so there's a rivalry springs up between the two dudes for this, Love triangle. For this girl. And um, and so in the rich dude uh, one day is like t- driving the lady around and then she's like, you know, he has a fancy new car. Well, not really that fancy, but he's driving around a car and they're having like a picnic or something. And she like pops open the trunk and then she like looks dismayed. Her like dopey smile goes away. And then she like <laughs> stalks back over to him and lifts up like a pile of dynamite. Like literal sticks of dynamite. Like coyote, like Wiley Coyote yeah. style dynamite. And then he's like, and she's like, what is this? What are you going to do with this? And he's like, I'm going to blow him up. I'm like, what? How does that? I'm like, How, is this a thing in China? You like vanquish your romantic rivals as if like you're fucking in Looney Tunes. <laughs> he has a giant anvil in the back of the trunk. But yeah. it doesn't fit. <laughs> acme. Yeah. Yeah, you totally. could read the Chinese on that. It would say acne. Acne. Oh my God. Yeah, it was, I, I, it was so ludicrous. But that's the thing. When it switches over to 2014, it, the whole tone, also, <laughs> for the record, I think this movie might hold the all-time record for longest prologue ever, because the title card of the movie, Mountains Made Apart, comes up 47 minutes in. Really? Yeah. Huh. Huh. Yeah, so wow. you have the whole first act in 1999 yeah. in, like, the little box with, like, sometimes grainy video quality film, yeah, uh-huh. and then that whole thing plays itself out, and then Mountains Made Apart, 
And then it switches to like a full screen picture that looks much more cinematic. And I'm like, oh, this is interesting. Um, and, and, and it suddenly is a much better movie. Okay. Much so that was like a better thing movie. That was done purposefully. Yes, basically it was trolling you. <laughs> like oh, the whole it worked. Fir- the well, whole the whole first act is a troll. Um and you're just like, God damn, this is unwatchable. Yeah. Well, to be fair, I also I I would have continued watching the movie. I mm. I was I had a time th- situation. So I would have continued watching the movie. It wasn't it was hard, but it wasn't so unbearable that I wouldn't have continued to watch. Yeah. But yeah. I was confused because the trailer seemed so it was it was very high quality. So I was mm-hmm. like, what, "Where are they getting this from? Is this like the did I get the wrong version? Is this like the TV show <laughs> Mountains Made Apart that was like on in 1999 by accident?" Yeah, yeah. It's it's it really it, it becomes a much 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 better movie when it switches over to the second uh, act, and then it continues on in that kind of style in the third act. But then the awkward thing in the third act is that it takes place. Um, mostly in, I think entirely in Australia because some of the characters at this point have moved to Australia Mm -hmm. and it is, and they are speaking primarily English. Oh. And, but the director and his cast, not so great at directing and performing the English. Oh. So. Interesting. Yeah. So it's not, um, you know, to, to, to like a native English speaker watching it, you're like, oof. Like that's this not how is yeah like that yeah talk. exactly that's that's not exactly how you would like what the intonation would be like whenever you're saying these words oh interesting so it's a little so it goes right back to being kind of stilted the way the first act was mm-hmm. but in a completely different way for a different oh, for weird. a different reason so yeah it's 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 yeah <laughs> it's, it's 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 unique structurally it's similar to at least one far more entertaining movie yeah the place beyond the pines place beyond the pines oh right with um. It's Ryan Gosling. Ryan Gosling and Bradley Cooper. Yeah, that is a that is a three part. Yeah, that's another. This is this is very similar to that in that you know it's a three part story about um, generations mm-hmm. uh, because in that movie we have these two men whose lives you know intersect in a very fateful way right. and then by the final act we're watching their children, mm-hmm. their teenage sons, who've ended up going to school together yeah. and you know don't realize that they have this kind of commonality. Right. And uh, similarly, in this movie, by the end, we are now watching the son of two of the three characters from the love triangle, who is now, you know, sort of like a a disgruntled teenager in Australia who is, who has a very kind of strained relationship with his Chinese culture and heritage. Mm -hmm. Oh. Yeah. So, you know, so it has a very, you know, ambitious scope in that sense, similar to, to Place Beyond the Pines. But yeah, it's just nowhere near as exciting to get there, <laughs> and, uh, and 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 again, and the stakes aren't as high, and uh, yeah. and it, yeah, it's it's it's. I'm telling you, the pines, you know, has issues, but and this is not that movie, so comparing them is you know in in you know in some ways is is a disservice to this movie. It's not trying to be that movie, right? But doing the three act thing and having it be told generation generationally and seeing these characters age and then suddenly being about like the teenage yeah, it's children. Like the Godfather. Is this like, is this better than the Godfather? Is that what you're saying? I think uh, easily. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. No contest. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So it's, it does the three act thing. I'm certainly, Place Beyond the Pines didn't invent that, but you know, it's, it's a movie that I love that came out recently. So that's what came to mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, so no, this, this, this one, it is fitfully successful, but it is, it is very, very slow. What are you going to give it? I'm not qualified to weigh in on this, but um, what do you get? I don't know, because I want to say consume moderation, because I mean, this is like a well-reviewed movie. This movie That's not how we judge movies, I Jason. I know, but I don't want to sound like a dummy. Uh, 
doing? <laughs> I mean, I, I, I'm trying with your gut. I don't. I mean, like, I can't recommend. My, I can't imagine myself ever telling somebody you gotta watch Mountains Made Apart. Well, these are the people. This is this is what the show's about. I know. So, what so are I guess you I would say? say if you happen to, because like this guy who directed it, like we're not even trying with any of these names, guys. We're not even trying. But so because we would we would because we, we we would absolutely butcher them. Um, and and it would actually be hilarious. We should do a blooper reel of ourselves reading nope. off the cast list of this movie. <laughs> I'll do it myself, guys. I'll give it to you guys later. Uh, but no, like it's an acclaimed Chinese director who's supposed to be important for reasons that are lost on me. And, you know, so like if you're familiar with this guy's work, then you'll probably dig this movie. Um, if you're a big fan of, of Chinese cinema, then then maybe this won't seem as weird to you as it did to us because we are, you know, like reprobates on this subject. But yeah, for myself and for people who like the movies that I like, then um, no, I can't say I can't say send it back. It's I can't not send it back. No, because it really it's yeah no it's it's consume moderation. Okay, Mountains Bay Depart is out now and is unrated, but probably dull enough for a PG. And that brings us to our last movie of the week, which is Night of Cups. A writer indulging in all that Los Angeles and Las Vegas has to offer undertakes a search for love and self via a series of adventures with six different women. those years living the life of someone I didn't even know this looks like a movie that is going to be added to the new sad white guy pantheon yes I think yes Lindsay if you're keeping track yes (laughs) this is another sad white guy movie uh, it, it does consist almost entirely of Christian Bale's character being placed in different settings and then just staying there like blankly, mm-hmm. like just constant cuts backs to Christian Bale's blank face mm-hmm. um, in a variety of gorgeous settings. That is that's sort of the core of this movie. And this movie does uh, take place in L.A. or a big part of it takes place in L.A. It's uh-huh. about L.A. Um, that sort of like vapidness um, about that life, which we've seen recently with Mojave Mm. Um, do you think this is Mojave 2 Mo actors Mo problems (laughs) she came up with that one guys I did (laughs) it's in the style of you but I I did well, I mean, first and foremost, we have to acknowledge that this movie by Terrence Malick, right? Uh, who, uh, after a period of, of of very very few movies that spanned a number of decades, from Badlands to Days of Heaven to for long fucking gap, and then like the Thin Red Line, mm-hmm. and then the New World, and then the Tree of Life. And the Tree of Life was the last time that a Terrence Malick movie came out, and it felt special because mm-hmm. then he started to get prolific. And it turns out Terrence Malick shouldn't be prolific <laughs> um, because he he's kind of a one trick pony. Like there's 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 only so many different um, things you see in a Terrence Malick movie. And having had the Tree of Life and To the Wonder and now Night of Cups coming out in relatively rapid succession, I think that anyone who has seen those movies like is like okay, like you know what to expect now from a Terrence Malick movie. And this is very much in keeping with that, like just sort of like constantly moving camera, endless, the whole thing. It's basically a two hour long montage mm-hmm. um, uh, where it goes from like tilting camera to panning camera to slow zoom camera um, and little bits of like whispered voiceover fragments uh, from various characters, um, lots of inexplicable shots of just like the scorched desert. 
just for funsies. <laughs> Every woman at one point or another stands in the surf and looks out at sea. Mm. Uh, these are things that, that if you watch his movies, you know you're going to get. Uh, at least kind of post-Tree of Life, you okay. know you're going to get. Um, and there are, as you mentioned in your in your Mojave joke, there are many, <laughs> there are many, 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 many actors in this movie. Um, I try keeping track of people who show up in this movie because they are bountiful and most of them don't even have words. Oh, wow. So it's um, not even just the top build cast. Yeah, because he doesn't really, Terrence Malick like, doesn't really do much of a script per se. Mm-hmm. Like he just kind of, Thomas Lennon is one of the people who is in the movie very briefly. Thomas like Lennon from Reno from, 911? Yeah. Um, as well as Joe Latrulio. Oh, okay. um, and uh, so, and Thomas Lennon did some interview where he talked about like what the day was like, <laughs> the day that he shot on this movie. Mm-hmm. And Terrence Malick, he's just, he's just like an old hippie. So he just like, he just likes filming nature. Like I keep wishing that Terrence Malick would discover Instagram. Cause I feel like if that <laughs> were to happen, <laughs> his, have a new Ansel his, Adams on our hands. his itch to try to like mold a really weak narrative around a bunch of beautiful images could just like be appeased once and for all mm-hmm. and he could just like just take pretty pictures and get on that do, snapchat do adorable boomerangs oh my god yeah following terrence Malick on snapchat would be so chill <laughs> um, but so yeah so there's tons and tons of people in this movie and when you show up to film terrence Malick, first of all you have no idea if you're going to make the final cut like there are so many people who show up for his movies and never see it never sees the light of day hmm. Um, so it, it, you, you have no idea. You don't like when you're cast in a Terrence Malick movie, you don't tell anybody because <laughs> you don't know if you're actually going to be in it or not. Um, and then once you're there, like he is not going to necessarily film you. You could be in the middle of a line and then he just takes the camera away because he sees like, like, you know, like a, a murder of crows takes flight and like, you know, like, and he's like, Ooh, and, oh, then, he, wow. and then he just films that he's, he's very, you know, he's very much a, a nature guy. Okay. So he just wants to film whatever's pretty, whatever's happening. Like, well, look at that leaf. And you're like, I was crying for you. Um, so, but in terms of people who were in this movie, beyond Christian Bale, uh, so let's see. And a lot of people don't even have lines. Uh, Antonio Banderas, Joe Manganiello, Freda Pinto, Thomas Lennon, Joe Trulio, Jason Clark, Nick Kroll. What? Yeah. Joel Kinnaman, Dane DeHaan, Fabio, Wes Bentley, <laughs> Brian Dennehy, <laughs> Nally Portman, Cherry Jones, Nick Offerman. Clifton Collins, Teresa Palmer from The Choice, <laughs> uh, Kevin Corrigan, Armin Mueller-Stahl. Uh, you, of course, you have Christian Bale right. uh, and... Uh, Kate Blanchett. Kate Blanchett. And, uh, and also, Kelly Catrone. <laughs> really? Kelly Catrone's in the movie, uh, uh, basically playing herself. And damned if she isn't one of the best parts in it. <laughs> <laughs> There's a photo shoot scene because, you know, this is like Terrence Malick's like, behind-the-scenes L.A. expose. Mm-hmm. And so there's a photo shoot where Freda Pinto and a model are being photographed, and Kelly uh, Kelly Catrone, dressed purely like herself, is standing right off screen, and she is yelling things like, "You're a dirty fucking bitch. You're like a 1975 housewife who takes steroids <laughs> and fucks girls during the day." I wrote that down. I was like, I want to make no- make a note of what Kelly Catrone says in this movie. Uh, but you know, and most of them, yeah, most of them are just kind of there, and you're like oh that's distracting look there's that person mm. they're not doing anything um and they're just filling spot you know they're just filling the space between shots of the sea and shots of the desert uh but Kate Blanchett actually comes through in this movie really yeah actors have a hard time really connecting in Malick movies because he is not really interested in them they're not really his focus mm-hmm. but Kate Blanchett as we saw in Carol can do a lot with silence 
That's very true. She has a lot with silence. She has a lot with just, just you know, loaded uh, expressions. Um, and so she she's such a pro. <laughs> she's such right. a she's such a goddess that even in like the amorphous soup of a Terrence Malick movie, <laughs> Kate Blanchett is able to give you sort of like a vivid woman. What is the movie? What is this about? Oh God. Uh, well, uh, the the short answer is that it's about some LA film industry douche um, and his kind of spiritual wallowing. And his, you lost me. You so lost me. And his, you know, like he's just always having to go to a party or be around some dumb LA guys, or and then he'll date a lady and he'll take her out to the beach and she'll stay in the surf for a while and then they break up, and then he moves on to another lady and then he takes her out to the surf and they look each other's eyes and they break up. So this Natalie movie is Portman, supposed to be told through the stories of these different women and how they. It's not even him? about that. No, I mean you're looking for a structure that doesn't exist in a Terrence Malick okay. movie. Um, but yeah, and he does have a succession of them. Um, and, uh, Natalie Portman actually wears pantyhose when she goes into the surf, uh, which was mm. an interesting choice. She also puts her foot inside Christian Bale's mouth in one scene. Huh. So that was a thing to see. Uh, so no, it, it the, the, the bigger, what it's about thing, because Malik has also gotten intensely, I mean, not, it's not, he was never spiritual, certainly going back to Thin Red Line and, and, mm. you know, Days mm-hmm. of Heaven, but He's gotten very, very sort of like hymnally um, over his last few movies. And uh, this one is no different. There's some kind of thing about, so the title, Knight of Cups. Is that tarot cards? Um, there's a reference to the Pilgrim's Progress. And then it says like, there's some, and there's some story about like a prince who's on a journey who has a cup hoard for him that makes him forget he's the son of the king. And he's on a mission looking for a pearl. So he falls into a deep sleep, and it can't be awoken despite the king's efforts. And so the idea is that, like, and then there's also some talk about, like, I think in the trailer they talk about, like, angels who lost their wings or forgot their divinity. So the whole idea is, like, you know, this guy um, is throwing away his birthright and 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 doesn't realize that he is... A white One, man? <laughs> uh, maybe. Um, he doesn't realize that like that life is more than this and that he is more than this. And he's letting himself be trapped in the evil of L.A. Because Terrence Malick also is like the kind of maverick dude who like doesn't, you know, he doesn't live in L.A. He doesn't really work in like the system. He live in Mill Valley? Yes. No, I think he lives on like a ranch somewhere. I don't know where Terrence Malick lives. But um, but yeah, he, does, he doesn't really play the L.A. game. He kind of does his own thing. And actors come running. Hmm. As you saw from that cast list, actors yeah. come running for Terrence Malick, whether they make the movie or not. They want to be in, they want to be in the mix, and uh, so uh, yeah, it's 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 yeah. The whole thing is supposed to be some kind of spiritual message about like forgetting your divinity. I would go so far if I were to do a Christian reading of it as to say like he forgot that he's a child of God, and that he you know and that life is divinity, and that he and there's there's suffering in the world, and that he needs to tie himself to it to feel more alive. And like as Kate Blanche's character is like a doctor, there are very jarring sudden scenes of her treating like there 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 are lots of shots throughout the movie of like Skid Row in LA mm-hmm. and uh, to sort of like, you know, really nuance in a very nuanced way, juxtapose it with, you know, the, the wealth and glamour <laughs> of the parties. parties. Right. And um, there are scenes where Kate Blanchett is is treating these like very deformed black men. And it's not makeup. These are like actual. I think they brought in some like homeless guys who have like elephantitis and all this shit, and they just like plop them down in front of Kate Blanchett wearing scrubs. And are these the only people of color in the movie? Um, Freda Pinto. 
Okay. Uh, Guatemalan? <laughs> Don't give me another Guatemalan. I'm trying to say this movie's diverse. I won't have it. I love your ongoing battle against Latin America. <laughs> um, no, uh, but yeah, she she's in it. But yeah, so they, they have the whole, you know, and there's definitely a lot of like, you know, these moments of like, oh, you need to like tie yourself to the suffering of the world. It's something, you know, you need to connect to something bigger than yourself. You know, he you're wallowing in this in this narcissistic existence that doesn't have any meaning to it. And it's funny because that sounds exactly what this whole movie is. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's 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 very similar to To the Wonder, his last movie. Um, it's just like which which you know, fun fact is actually the final movie that um, that Roger Ebert ever reviewed. Oh, really? Yes. Uh, so I would look that up because it's always he, it's, it was his, just yeah, final 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 week of, of 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 being on this earth, and his his thoughts onto the wonder are very beautifully expressed. We'll link to it. Um, but uh, but you know, it's it's just a Terrence Malick movie. You just kind of have to expect Terrence Malicky things. You have so to pull it, back and so let it wash over you. So you're assuming a lot of people have heard, have, have seen a lot of Terrence Malick. I movies. feel like if you haven't, then then you don't care. And this is not the first movie of his that you should watch. Okay. Um, it is uh, asking it, for a friend. What if you haven't seen any Terrence Malick <laughs> movies? But you said you saw the Thin Red Line. I did, but that was a, that was a while ago. Yeah. And I feel like that one doesn't sound like it. Like it falls into the rest of these. No, I mean it does. About. I mean the red line is there's still like lots of just kind of like contemplative nature imagery in mm, that movie. Yeah, yeah. Um. So, but yeah, I mean it's it's it, Terrence Malick movies. You just kind of have to pull back and let them wash over you, and it's a sensory experience, mm-hmm. and that's kind of all it is. And it's it's usually a, it's a meditation by the end. You know, it ends almost feeling like you just like or he like he's wrapping up like a sermon of sorts. Um, there's, you know, his last two movies ended with suddenly they're priests on screen and they're saying spiritual things. And so, uh, and that's just, just where Terrence Malick's at right now. How are, how are the, how does Terrence Malick treat women? Like vessels of whimsy and beauty. Uh, (laughs) yeah, he does not, I mean, you know, I would, he doesn't exactly build any characters, but I would say women in particular, um, you know, his movies are always, you know, always have sort of like male protagonists. And then his last few movies, especially, um, have been all about, you know, these like who played the Oh, Brad Pitt was in Tree of Life. So, you mm. know, Tree of Life was kind of grounded around this father figure of Brad Pitt and, and these sons. And then one son who grows up to be Sean Penn and then Jessica Chastain. And, and what was kind of the performance that really put her on the map, critically speaking, um, it just embodies this like this maternal warmth uh, and 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 love and and heart mm-hmm. um, and she's beautiful in it you know but it's it's very much just like a mother figure right and uh, and then his last two movies to the wonder and now Night of Cups ladies are just there to kind of come in and out of our protagonist life the last movie was Ben Affleck was protagonist this time it's Christian Bale so he doesn't really expand any of these characters. And this movie in particular features a jarring amount of female nudity. Oh, wow. So much. Uh, Isabel Lucas is in it and is nude for almost her entire screen time. Wow. And and he's certainly, you know, Malik, you know, a pr- in, in almost in a painterly sense. I was none of it's like lascivious. You know, he has, he really is just like, you know, he loves the female form and he happens to notice that she looks great wearing only high heels standing on like a patio. 
uh, or you know, standing nude in a pool and letting a letting, letting her be lit to like throw the shadow of her like you know nude silhouette back across the pool. And well, there must be equal amounts of male nudity, right? Because <laughs> no. the male form. <laughs> well, first of all, no one says that about the male form, but uh, but no, no, there's zero male nudity at all. Right. Mm. So this movie definitely has some issues. Yes. Yeah. I mean, Ma- Malik Malik has definitely like the kind of. You know, I would say like a throwback male gaze to like kind of like bohemians of the 60s and 70s. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's yeah, he's he, he's not seeking to give you any kind of real, um, you know, complexity or life with these women. But, you know, he just celebrates the beauty of them in his own in what he in the way he understands it to be understood. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if that makes any mm-hmm. sense. So, yeah, this whole thing sounds like a nightmare. <laughs> Come for me. So I'm, I'm watching a depressed white guy who's rich in L.A., you know, uh-huh. have these fantastic situations that he's not appreciating because he's going through a spiritual struggle. And, and, and meanwhile, all these beautiful women are being... Are coming, coming, just, coming in out of his life. And, and they're And, and being, being ravished and, by him and then standing on a beach with him and then kind of falling out with him and vanishing. Sounds like exactly and, what uh, we need to get out of making. Stop and, making. And, and yes, yeah, so many Christian Bale blank reaction shots in this movie. There's even a scene where he gets robbed. Um, he like comes home to his apartment and two guys are in the middle of robbing him. And even that's filmed like a Terrence Malick movie. They're like cutaways to the guy saying weird random things to each other. And then Christian Bale just like staying there, like looking out a window mournfully. <laughs> I'm like, this is it. This I, I was wondering what a Terrence Malick directed robbery scene would look like. And now I know <laughs> it looks like anything else that Terrence Malick directs. What are you giving this movie? Um, I guess. Oh, man. I don't know. Uh, it's not like I didn't know this question was coming. I know. I'm like, um, wait, are they first for the first time thinking of this? I know. I know. I mean, it's it's not by Terrence. Oh, God. I don't know. Um, I, uh, God. I guess I'll say consume moderation. Um, you know, it's it's the kind of movie that, like, if you dig Terrence Malick's whole vibe, then you will enjoy it. And I don't hate Terrence Malick movies, you know, like they, they, they are, he is the only, he, he is a unique idiosyncratic director who makes movies a very specific way and no one else does it. And he plays with a form of cinema and, and he is, creates the most beautiful images there are. Um, so, uh, so I would say consume moderation, but you know, it would be great if he mixed it up a little, it's getting a little monotonous at this point in his filmography. So would you say this is one of those movies where the treatment of uh, women and people of color does not influence your um, end rating? No, and I don't think that it necessarily should influence my end rating. You know, I think that it's about, like, the movie itself, big picture, you know, would I recommend it? Mm -hmm. You know, I would not recommend a movie because it didn't meet any of those criteria, but I think those are important things to think about as we're, like, you know, just so that you are aware when you're watching that you're asking yourself those questions. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't think that I would. I wouldn't send a movie back just because it, you know, it failed those tests. Um, I mean, not even just those tests, right? Like, because um, sometimes those tests don't make sense. Right. We, we've talked about that. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I I wish I had seen this one. Um, <laughs> I know. I'm gonna watch it. I'm gonna. We're gonna come back to it. <laughs> it's but very. Just, it's very youthy, and you hated youth. So. I did. I mean, I I feel like it, the youth is like ten times the movie this movie is. Oh really? Yeah. Um, when there's like no attempt to hide using women just as like. You know, props for beauty exactly and And this yeah yeah and yeah terrence malick would you know he has his he would probably disagree with the line of thinking that says that men can't celebrate women for their beauty okay so so here's the other thing 
you've mentioned, I mean, if we've talked primarily about how this is a movie made by Terrence Malick. Yeah. If this movie was made by somebody else and didn't have this name attached uh-huh. to it, would you would you view it differently? No, I mean, I'd probably just be like, this person's ripping off Terrence Malick. Um, <laughs> <laughs> because literally okay. no one else okay. makes movies like this guy. He makes them in a very, very specific way. Um, like if you, yeah, if you watch any of his last three movies, you'd be like, this, this is the same director. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if it was someone else, I'd probably be like, okay, they're just kind of, you know, if anything, I'd be kinder if it was not, if I didn't know it was Terrence Malick, because I'd be like, oh, this is an interesting point of view. This is an interesting way of telling a story. This is an interesting mm-hmm. way of like suggesting this character's inner journey through like a sensory experience. So I'd probably actually be kinder if I didn't know that it was, hmm. that it was Terrence okay. Malick. You know, he's not, you know, I wouldn't say he's not abjectly, I don't feel like any of the women on screen necessarily being, because his gaze, even though it's very much a male gaze, is a very kind of like gentle gaze. It's a very adoring gaze. And I'm not saying that that's a good thing, but he also is not like, he's not doing like close-ups of butts, you know? <laughs> uh, you know, it's not that kind of thing. So wait, you're thing. telling me also there are no close-ups of butts? This movie sounds <laughs> this movie. like a train wreck. <laughs> yeah, no, I would say he's kind of, he's kind of like, you know, like a, like a male painter who, you know, would like be, you know, really into painting the female form. He kind of has that more painterly approach to like the female form. Okay, so he's a secret perv. Yes. Knight of Cups is out now and is rated R for some nudity, sexuality, and language that's it we're all done we're done three movies we made it thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode of the binge yes by now i'm sure you're subscribed on itunes or wherever else podcasts are sold you go to the binge.us and you can find us on twitter i am at fight balance and jason is at the jason lebron yes see you next week bye guys Binging on movies with Rebecca and Jason. You made it to the end, that's amazing. There There goes goes the the binge. binge.